Namaste, dear beautiful hearts. I hope that you had a great day and I thank you from the center of my heart for your beautiful, radiant presence, your time, your love, light and universal harmony, sharing your beautiful energy with me here and now by listening to me. And I wish you more love, light and universal harmony. I love saying so because it sounds just like what it is like pure love and it is a very nice feeling to feel and to have the absolute joy of expressing to all of you in my own poetic vision. Today I want to tell you about my perspective on the link in the sexuality of flowers and that of humans. Sexuality is such an important aspect of love and life throughout all of creation and this importance is the reason why this quintessential aspect of our natural human behaviors is often so problematic. I believe that we must identify closer to nature in order to reach a more simple, logical, pure and illuminated understanding of sex and lovemaking. Through the example of flowers, who make love in the most harmonious manner possible. I will try to explain how. If we look at the subject of botanics, we can see an analogy between human sexuality and the plant reproductive morphology and system, precisely in flowers. The basic flower morphology is defined as such. The flower is the characteristic structure concerned with sexual reproduction in flowering plants, also known as angiosperms. Flowers vary enormously in their morphology. A complete flower, like that of Ranunculus glaberinus, has a calyx of outer sepals and a corolla of inner petals. The sepals and petals together form the perianth. Next, in warts, there are numerous stamens, which produce pollen grains, each containing a microscopic male gametophyte. Stamens may be called the male parts of the flower and collectively form the, the androecium. Finally, in the middle, there are carpels which at maturity contain one or more ovules, and within each ovule is a tiny female gametophyte. Carpels may be called the female parts of the flower and collectively form the gynoecium. The carpels, leaf-like, seed-bearing structures that constitute the innermost world of the flower, make up the pistil. Fertilization of an egg within a carpel by a pollen grain from another flower results in seed development within the carpel. Each carpel in ranunculus species is an achene, a small, dry, one-seeded fruit that does not open to release the seed that produces one ovule which when fertilized becomes a seed. If the carpel contains more than one seed, as in Eranthis hyemalis, it is called the follicle. 
two or more couples may be fused together to varying degrees and the entire structure, including the fused styles and stigmas, may be called a pistil. The lower part of the pistil, where the ovules are produced, is called the ovary. It may be divided into chambers, locules corresponding to the separate carpels. The middle parts of the flower, called the stamens, consist of the anthers, bearing the pollen grains which contain the male gametophytes and the filament linking the anthers to the female parts of the flower called the pistil and consisting of the stigma, the style and the ovule which contains the ovaries. The stamens which are numerous enclose the pistil of the flower. The pistil, the female reproductive part of a flower, centrally located typically consists of a swollen base, the ovary, which contains the potential seeds or ovules, a stalk or style arising from the ovary, and a pollen-receptive tip, the stigma, variously shaped and often sticky. In pollination, compatible pollen grains land on the stigma and then germinate, forming a pollen tube. The pollen tube grows down through the tissue of the style to deposit sperm for the fertilization of the ovules in the ovary. Pistils in the collective sense form a gynoecium. The stamen, the male reproductive part of a flower, in all but a few extant angiosperms, consists of a long slender stalk, the filament, with a two-lobed anther at the tip. The anther consists of four sac-like structures, microsporangia, that produce pollen for pollination. Small secretory structures called nectaries are often found at the base of the stamens. They provide food rewards for insect and bird pollinators. All the stamens of a flower are collectively called the androecium. The petals and the sepals of the flower, in my understanding, are both male and female. The sepals forming the calyx of the flower, situated around the flower's ovule on the outside, in what is termed the flower's axis, connect the corolla of the flower to its stem, while the petals forming the corolla of the flower enclose and protect the flower's reproductive system. Plant reproductive morphology is the study of the physical form and structure or morphology of those parts of plants directly or indirectly concerned with sexual reproduction. Among all living organisms, flowers, which are the reproductive structures of angiosperms, angiosperms being plants that bear flowers and fruits, are the most varied physically and show a correspondingly great diversity in methods of reproduction. Plants that are not flowering plants, green algae, mosses, liverworts, hornworts, ferns and gymnosperms, such as conifers, also have complex interplays between morphological adaptation and environmental factors in their sexual reproduction. The breeding system, or how the sperm from one plant fertilizes the ovum of another, depends on the reproductive morphology and is the single most important determinant 
of the genetic structure of non-clonal plant populations. Contrary to non-clonal plants, clonal plant species can produce genetically identical and potentially independent offspring and dominate a variety of habitats. Christian Conrad Sprengel, 1793, studied the reproduction of flowering plants and for the first time it was understood that the pollination process involved both biotic and abiotic interactions. The biotic environment of a plant being the ecosystem within which the plant grows, consisting of all the organisms and physical elements with which the plant interacts, while the abiotic components are non-living chemical and physical parts of the environment that affect living organisms and the functioning of the ecosystem. These biotic and abiotic components are linked together through nutrient cycles and energy flows. Energy enters the system through photosynthesis and is incorporated into plant tissue. Charles Darwin, in his theories of natural selection, used Sprengel's work to build his theory of evolution, which includes analysis of the coevolution of flowers and their insect pollinators. Pollination The biological function of a flower, also known as a bloom or blossom, is thus to facilitate reproduction usually by providing a mechanism for the union of sperm with eggs. Flowers may facilitate the fusion of sperm and eggs from different individuals in a population resulting from cross-pollination or allow the fusion of sperm and egg from the same flower when self-pollination occurs. The two types of pollination are self-pollination and cross-pollination. Self-pollination happens when the pollen from the anther is deposited on the stigma of the same flower or another flower of the same plant. Cross-pollination is the transfer of pollen from the anther of one flower to the stigma of another flower on a different individual of the same species. Self-pollination happens in flowers where the stamen and carpel mature at the same time and are positioned so that the pollen can land on the flower's stigma. This pollination does not require an investment from the plant to provide nectar and pollen as food for pollinators. The primary purpose of the flower is thus reproduction. Since the flowers are the reproductive organs of the plant, they mediate the joining of the sperm contained within the pollen to the ovules contained in the ovary. Pollination is the movement of pollen from the anthers to the stigma. Normally, pollen is moved from one plant to another, known as cross-pollination, but many plants are able to self-pollinate. Cross-pollination allows for genetic variation, which contributes to the survival of the species. Many flowers are dependent, then, upon external factors for pollination, such as the wind, water, animals, and especially insects. To accomplish this, flowers have specific designs which encourage the transfer of pollen from one plant 
to another of the same species. The period of time during which this process can take place, when the flower is fully expanded and functional, is called anthesis. Hence, the study of pollination biology is called anthecology. Flowering plants usually face evolutionary pressure to optimize the transfer of their pollen, and this is typically reflected in the morphology of the flowers and the behavior of the plants. Pollen may be transferred between plants via a number of vectors or methods. Around 80% of flowering plants make use of biotic or living vectors. Others use abiotic or non-living vectors, and some plants make use of multiple vectors, but most are highly specialized. Therefore, it is obvious that we humans function just like flowers in relation to our respective reproduction systems, and even our morphologies are very similar in design to the flowers, gynoecium and onoecium, in that the pistil functions like a female uterus and the stamen like a male penis. And the harmony in this reproductive system of flowers is facilitated by the fact that the female and male reproductive organs in flowers are linked together harmoniously, continuously functioning in perfect coordination to create the most beautiful and delicate plant which is as beneficial to human health, both mental and physiological, as it is a wonder of nature's logic, magic, generosity and poetry in my heart's eye. The Logos, the Greek word for reason or plan, plural Logoi, in ancient Greek philosophy and early Christian theology, is the divine reason implicit in the cosmos, ordering it and giving it form and meaning. It thus underlies the basic Christian doctrine of the pre-existence of Jesus. However, the idea of the Logos is further developed into a complementary duality, as in flowers, called the Logos Spermaticos, related to men, and the Logos Eros, related to women. There is an analogy between the role played by the concept of love throughout nature as the noumenal or divine concept of the Logos guiding, ordering, directing and supervising the creation of flowers in this instance, and the philosophical analysis of the procreation of life's energy within the human heart and mind in parallel to the love found throughout the beauty and harmony of the natural kingdom of plants and flowers. The pollination of flowers shows us that flowers also have male and female sexual organs, therefore to me, since flowers are the most beautiful symbols of love in popular human consciousness, their diverse specific traits of physical harmony and beauty 
and their diverse, wonderful perfumes are the expressions of this harmony born out of their harmonious love-making. Sexuality, therefore, as a spiritual as well as physical aspect of human behavior, like a sacred act of giving and receiving the most delicate emotional composition, like a symphony of feelings and behaviors, creating the magic of love with the consciousness of sharing with your partner, like two flowers, the most precious, universal and timeless gift and offering of life itself. And this wonderful phenomenon is like the creation by a man and a woman in love of the most beautiful flower blossom in its purest, most sublime, intimate and transporting, comforting, healing, energizing and fulfilling gesture. The act of love-making through the beautiful design of the morphology this act always emulates. Love-making, which is in my perspective also the act that enables life to be reproduced at all levels of creation throughout nature, in plants, humans and animals, and even up above in the aether, in the stars, throughout the cosmos because in the symmetrical and centered order and pattern of the design followed by the revolution of planets, stars and galaxies akin to the design of flowers from the center to the outer shape of this design embodying what is called the Fibonacci sequence or golden ratio within this spiral design prevalent throughout all of nature, there is harmony. This design, also called a worm, spelled W-H-O-R-L, is also a fundamental design adopted by water through its ability to create spiraling designs under certain circumstances. In botany, a worm or Verticil is an arrangement of leaves, sepals, petals, stamens, or carpels that radiate from a single point and surround or wrap around the stem or stalk, and within this design, a pattern of spirals or concentric circles is found, as in water and in galaxies. As if the cosmos itself chose to represent its harmonious order within the heart or center of a single flower as well as up above in the aether. Therefore, it is clear that this beauty in the order chosen by nature to simply be in the cosmos, in plants and in our hearts on our beautiful planet Earth is created by love and love-making. Love mergings and love's consciousness of being appreciated where love is evolving. Like a universal spiral of love from the center of all beings of love and light, because love is light, this spiral of love linking us all as well. This is precisely the process of evolution in my heart and mind simple harmony and happiness in the whole universe of creation through all mergings and weddings 
of love and light. In Greek philosophy, the Logos is defined as a universal divine reason, immanent in nature, yet transcending all oppositions and imperfections in humanity. The Gospel of John identifies the Christian Logos, through which all things are made, as divine Theos, and further identifies Jesus Christ as the incarnate Logos. Logos from the ancient Greek word, Romanized Logos from Lego, literally I say, is a term in Western philosophy, psychology, rhetoric and religion derived from a Greek word variously meaning ground, plea, opinion, expectation, word, speech, account, reason, proportion and discourse. It became a technical term in Western philosophy beginning with Heraclitus, circa 535 to 475 BC, who used the term for a principle of order and knowledge. To Heraclitus, the Logos or cosmic principle gives order and rationality to the world, in a way analogous to that in which human reason orders human action. In Plato and Aristotle, a similar function is performed by the noose. Noose, sometimes equated to intellect or intelligence, is a term from classical philosophy for the faculty of the human mind necessary for understanding what is true or real. In philosophy, common English translations include understanding and mind, or sometimes thought or reason, in the sense of that which reasons, not the activity of reasoning. It is also often described as something equivalent to perception, except that it works within the mind, the mind's eye. It has been suggested that the basic meaning is something like awareness. In colloquial British English, news also denotes good sense, which is close to one everyday meaning it had in ancient Greece. In Stoicism, the seminal reason, Logos Spermaticos, is the cosmic source of order. Its aspects are fate, providence and nature. Logos also has another aspect. It is what enables us to apprehend the principles and forms, i.e. it is an aspect of our own reasoning. The view becomes fused with Christian doctrine when Logos is God's instrument in the development, redemption of the world. The notion survives in the idea of laws of nature, if these are conceived of as independent guides of the natural course of events existing beyond the temporal world that they order. The Logos Eros Eros, from the ancient Greek word meaning love, desire, is a concept in ancient Greek philosophy referring to sensual or passionate love from which the term erotic is derived. Eros has also been used in philosophy and psychology in a much wider sense, almost as an equivalent to life energy. Protestant author C.S. Lewis, author of the Chronicles of Narnia, 
and the Space Trilogy, among other works, posits the concept of Eros as one of the four ancient Greek words for love in Christianity, alongside Storge, Philia, and Agape. In the classical Greek world tradition, erotic love was generally referred to as a kind of madness or theia mania, madness from the gods. This love passion was described through an elaborate metaphoric and mythological schema involving love's arrows or love darts. At times, the source of the arrows was said to be the image of the beautiful love object itself. If these arrows were to arrive at the lover's eyes, they would then travel to and pierce or wound their heart and overwhelm them with desire and longing, love sickness. The image of the arrow's wound was sometimes used to create oxymorons and rhetorical antithesis concerning its pleasure and pain. The ancient Greek philosopher Plato developed an idealistic concept of Eros, which would prove to be very influential in modern times. In general, Plato did not consider physical attraction to be a necessary part of Eros. According to Plato, Eros could be diverted to philosophy inclusive of mathematical, ethical, and ascetical training, rather than dissipated in sexuality for the purpose of using erotic energy as a vehicle for the transformation of consciousness and union with the divine. In Symposium, Eros is described as a universal force that moves all things towards peace, perfection and divinity. Different from a purely sensual love in being the love that tends towards the sublime, to Plato, the object of Eros does not have to be physically beautiful. This is because the object of Eros is beauty, and the greatest beauty is eternal. However, if the lover achieves possession of the beloved's inner ideal beauty, his need for happiness will be fulfilled because happiness is the experience of knowing that you are participating in the ideal. The classical conception of love's arrows was developed further by the troubadour poets of Provence during the medieval period and became part of the European courtly love tradition. The role of a woman's eyes in eliciting erotic desire was particularly emphasized by the Provençal poets as N. E. Griffin states. According to this description, love originates upon the eyes of the lady when encountered by those of her future lover. The love thus generated is conveyed as bright beams of light from her eyes to his, through which it passes to take up its abode in his heart. These images continued to be circulated and elaborated upon in the literature and, and iconography of the Renaissance and Baroque periods. The rhetorical antithesis between the pleasure and pain from love's dart continued through the 17th century, as for example in these classically inspired images 
from the Fairy Queen. If love is a sweet passion, why does it torment? If a bitter, oh tell me whence comes my content? Since I suffer with pleasure, why should I complain? Or grieve at my fate when I know it is in vain? Yet so pleasing the pain is, so soft is the dart, that at once it both wounds me and tickles my heart. And finally, in essence, Carl Jung's concept of Eros in his analytical psychology is not dissimilar to the Platonic one. Eros is ultimately the desire for wholeness, and although and although it may initially take the form of passionate love, it is more truly a desire for psychic relatedness, a desire for interconnection and interaction with other sentient beings. However, Jung was inconsistent and he did sometimes use the word eros as a shorthand to designate sexuality. In conclusion, I wanted to say that since love is the most beautiful feeling, gesture, and dream of human consciousness, therefore it is logical that its fulfillment should be the fruit of a whole quest, like the quest of King Arthur for the Holy Graal, or a whole conquest, like that of Joan of Arc to protect the object of her love, through the purity, beauty, strength, valiance, bravery, and innocence of her soldier's heart in a war waged only for the sake of protecting her own king. And now I will share a few poems with you to end this episode. Happiness Wedding of light A rosebud said yes to a sunray this morning. They are being wed today. The air plays the organ in the tree. The birds are tweeting a hymn to the glory of love. The butterflies are dancing, and in their most beautiful light, all the flowers are blessing love's marriage, while sprinkling softest blooms and dew drops over the radiant couple. It's a beautiful day. The sky is happy. Everything smiles. Everything sings. Everything shines. Everything is harmony. Bonheur. Noce de lumière. Un bouton de rose a dit oui à un rayon de soleil ce matin. Ils se marient aujourd'hui. L'air joue de l'orgue dans les arbres. Les oiseaux pépient un cantique à la gloire de l'amour. Les papillons dansent et sous leurs plus beaux jours, toutes les fleurs bénissent ce mariage d'amour en versant chacune des gouttes de rosée, les plus douces pétales sur le couple resplendissant. Il fait beau, le ciel aussi est heureux. Tout sourit, tout chante, tout brille, tout est harmonieux. Mmh.
sublime. My love, you are sublime. Sublime and sensual, extreme and subtle, like the blue lily in the dream of gentleness, caressed by innocent wisdom, in the solemn offering of a tenderness bloom, fruit ripe and perfect inside the blue golden gaze of an angel, at the very instant when, for the very first time, he discovers love. Fruit pure and eternal inside the blue golden gaze of an angel, at the very instant when, for the very first time, he thinks the most beautiful gesture. And my love, this gesture in verse is but one of your caresses. For your gaze is the most beautiful verb of time to infinity. Your breath is an ode to music in the spheres of Euphoria's dream. God's fruit constellates your voice, my love, with all the stars in heaven. Your beauty is a poem written in Arcady, a pearl of melancholy's desire confession and only the sun's most beautiful love dream would dare birth the hope, the hope ripened by the clarity of the softest light, the hope of one day, perhaps, being embraced by the timeless purity that emanates from your eternity. And in you, my love, I am ethereal, because telling you, my love, will last all eternity. Sublime. Mon amour, tu es sublime. Sublime et sensuel, subtil et extrême, comme le lys bleu du rêve de la douceur effleurée, par l'innocente sagesse, dans l'offrande solennelle d'une éclosion de tendresse. Fruit mûr et parfait, au fond du regard bleu doré d'un ange, à l'instant où, pour la toute première fois, il découvre l'amour. Fruit pur et éternel au fond du regard bleu doré d'un ange, à l'instant où, pour la toute première fois, il pense le plus beau geste. Et mon amour, ce geste, c'est une seule de tes caresses, car ton regard est le plus beau verbe du temps à l'infini. Ton souffle est une ode à la musique d'espère du rêve de l'euphorie. La flûte de Dieu parsème ta voix de toutes les étoiles du paradis. Ta beauté est un poème écrit en Arcadie, l'aveu de désir d'une perle de mélancolie. Et seul le plus beau rêve d'amour du soleil oserait couver l'espoir, l'espoir mûri par la clarté des plus douces lumières, l'espoir de pouvoir un jour peut-être être embrassé par la pureté intemporelle qui émane de ton éternité. Et en toi, mon amour, je suis éternel, car je te dirai, mon amour, toute l'éternité. Your smile Your smile blooms upon gentle slopes 
under an angelic sky. The most beautiful poem, your adorable flower of a face. Your smile is the ethereal flower that sings rivers of love and light inside my blue heart. Irish enchanted forest, little girl in a storm lost at sea. Your smile is the sun in the night of my memory, a memory of love and logic, beauty and magic, praying for the dawn of liberty, delight and liberty, songs of Arcady. Kids butterfly is your smile, my love, and our love will be Arcady, an angel's paradise, where we both will be butterflies, where our love once again will be Yggdrasil, the most beautiful tree. And the last poem, Your body is a garden. Your body is a garden, your sex is a flower, your most precious flower in a garden of light, in a garden of love. Your heart is the spring painting this garden, water of light, iridescent colors, your brushes of love. Your heart is the gaze of your garden, enlightened fiery water, the most beautiful, clearest, softest gaze. The breath of your garden illuminates the minds of all your treasures of love, of all your treasures of art. Gentle blossoms, your songs, musical caresses, lullabies of water and light, your poems, the purest air, breathed only in this garden. Flowers of poetry, perfumes so bright, so sweet and delicate, elating songs of innocent love, like those of my stargazer Lily, my beautiful yellow starfish, in an ocean of sparkling, silken water galaxies. If you wish to see your body like the most beautiful garden, a garden of eternal love and light, then breathe your flower at once. My love, my angel, my child, your most precious flower, your sacral chakra. Breathe precisely your stamen. It is the fruit of love within your garden. The pistil and the stamen of all flowers incarnate the most sublime embrace. The spring of Beltane a constant embrace of the most delicate tenderness inside your heart where I am. The fruit of this love is the stamen of your sex and the pistil of mine. Breathe it in from now on. I promise you, you will breathe better. And your whole body will light up, lift up and ascend watered by enchanted streams of love and light in your heart and in mine, our inner garden, 
Through the pure breath of life of the eternal, luscious flower a bloom in our hearts. You will breathe better. This flower is an angel's heart, a heart of love and light, the Logos heart, the most noble heart, a universe of harmony composing the exalted twilight melodies of our cosmic symphony and breathing out the heavenly perfumes of all the flowers. In para, para, paradise. Thank you from the center of my heart, always dear beautiful hearts, for being here and now with me, listening to me and being opened like the beautiful flowers bathed by the sun in my inner garden, to my visions and perspectives that I'm so happy to be able to share with you here and now in my aspiration at creating more love, light and universal harmony in thought and poetry. Until my next episode, fluffy, sparkly, iridescent, soft and cuddly cosmic flower teddy bear hugs to all of you. Namaste.